So last, last um, Sunday, we finished up the book of 1 Thessalonians. And while we were singing this morning, I was thinking, man, I can hardly wait to teach from God's word today. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, uh, for uh, sometimes when pastors get together, you know, you talk and, and um, so I struggle through the week. I'm just going to be honest with you. I struggle all week um, putting the talk together. It's like a battle. And, um, and, and then when the opportunity comes to present it, you could just sense uh, the breath of God, you know? That's what makes it real. I, I was thinking how sad it is for people who have um, committed their lives to atheism, being an agnostic, um, just kind of being lukewarm spiritually, what they're missing, where we have an opportunity to uh, invest our lives with the creator of the universe, the creator of our lives, and the God who gave his one and only son to pay for our sin debt so we could be with him forever in heaven. How amazing that is, you know? What have all these other false gods, idols, religions done? They've done nothing. Those that they adhere to, they, they want you to work hard to try and make yourself worthy to be embraced by them. When, when you look at Jesus Christ, he did everything. He paid it all. And all we, he's extending this gift of eternal life, this gift of salvation, free. And we have to make that decision, that choice to say, yes, I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And I believe that you paid for my sin debt. And I believe that you will forgive my sins. So I will stand forgiven when I come into your presence, you know, and even now. And... Um, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, so anyway, as, as I was saying uh, a few moments ago, we concluded First Thessalonians, and hopefully your life was changed because uh, of that letter that Paul wrote in 51 AD a long time ago, but so relevant for 2020. We're, uh, we're shifting gears today. We're going into the Old Testament. We haven't gone there in a while, and I wanted to uh, be intentional. You know, some people uh, kind of downplay the value of the worth of the Old Testament, but I have a Bible here. It's called the Jesus Bible, and when you read through the Old Testament, every time uh, a reference is made to Christ, um, it's highlighted. It's pretty cool. Well, it's all over the Old Testament. And so um, um, I, I, I appreciate the old and the new. Um, so here we are. Ernest Gordon was in Chiang Kai, Burma during the Second World War. He... Um, He's in what they call the death house. In other words, he supposedly is dying. He, he's in the process of listening to the moans and the groans and the, the stench of other men around him that are dead or in the process of dying. And that jungle heat in Burma, man, it bakes his skin. It makes his throat so dry. And if he had the strength, if he could muster the strength he would be able to wrap one hand around his bony thigh. That's how much weight he lost. Diphtheria drained him to the core. He was unable to walk. He couldn't even feel his body anymore. He was sharing the cot with flies and bed bugs, and 
he was waiting a lonely death in a Japanese POW camp. Man, the, the war had been so harsh on him. He entered World War II in his early 20s, a healthy Highlander in Scotland's Sutherland Brigade. Uh, he was fighting in Singapore when the Japanese occupied Singapore. He fled with uh, other men and escaped to Java. And uh, it was there that they got onto a fishing boat and their attempt was to um, make it a couple thousand miles uh, to Sri Lanka for safety. But in the process, in that fishing boat, uh, Japanese warships came by and took them away. Being captured by the Japanese, doing back-breaking labor in the jungle, daily beatings, slow starvation, man, it took a toll. It took a toll on earnest. Scotland seems so far away. Civility, even farther. Because here's what happened. Um, for those of you that have watched uh, the movie Bridge Over the River Kwai, this is the, the camp where Ernest was held. But his story that he tells puts a little more background on what went on in that camp because the Allied soldiers that Ernest occupied the camp with turned into barbarians. They stole from each other. They robbed dying colleagues. They fought for food scraps to survive. The servers of the food shortchanged rations so they could have a little bit extra for themselves. The law of the jungle had become the law of the camp, the POW camp where they were living. Ernest said, you know, I, I really, the thought of dying felt so liberating. Death by disease mm, was so much better than living in Chiang Kai. But that's not where the story ends. There's more. You see, something happened. Something wonderful happened. And what would that be? Two new prisoners two new prisoners where hope was still alive. We sang about hope not long ago, this morning, did we? Yeah. They were transferred into that camp, and even though they were sick and they were frail, they were living by a higher code. What was that? What was that about? Well, they, they shared their meager meals with other men. They volunteered for extra work in the camp. In fact, they, they went into the, de the death house where Ernest Gordon was lying waiting to die. And they cleaned his ulcerated sores. They massaged his skinny legs. They gave him his first bath in six weeks. And in the process of this human touch on Gordon's body, his strength slowly began to return and with it his dignity. And as Gordon's strength increased, um, he did something about it because the goodness of these two new POWs that came into the camp, it started to become contagious. And Gordon contracted <laughs> that case as well. Uh, he began to treat the sick himself. He began to share his rations. He even began to give away a few of his belongings. And in the process, other soldiers in the camp did likewise. And so over time, over time, the, the, the tone of the camp began to soften and brighten. Sacrificed, replaced selfishness. Soldiers began holding worship services. They started holding Bible studies. Wow. What happened? Well, 20 years later, when Gordon served as chaplain of Princeton University, he described the transformation with these words. Death was still with us, no doubt about it, but we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. Selfishness, hatred, and pride were all anti-life. 
Love, self-sacrifice, and faith, on the other hand, were the essence of life, the gifts of God to men. Death no longer had the last word at Chiang Kai. And because Gordon, 20 years later, that tells you he survived, didn't it? Yeah, he survived. He was in that camp three years. By the grace of God, he became a survivor. Selfishness, hatred, pride. You know what? You don't have to go to a POW camp to find those attributes, do you? Hmm? No. The law of the jungle, you don't have to go to Burma to find that. No, it's alive and well, even in the United States today. Every man for himself, you get all you can, you get all you can get. It's survival of the fittest. It's all around us. Does the code contaminate your world? That's a good question, isn't it? It's easy. It's easy to get contaminated. This morning, we're going to take a look at uh, Joshua chapter 3. And I have to tell you, this, this chapter in the Bible, it, it, it would do well in January. It would do well on the front end of a year uh, to challenge us to look at changes that possibly we need to make. Like Ernest Gordon, who was paying the price for the barbarianism in his POW camp. There's a price that people pay for that. Maybe you're a barbarian yourself. Maybe maybe you've stiffened your arm towards God out of bitterness and anger. And in the process, your heart has become so cold and hard. And so today, we, we're going to jumpstart January and December. I think it's a good thing because yeah, I know Christmas is coming and I know other things are hitting the fan all around us and it's taking our attention and I get that. But I think it's important that we are intentional about our relationship with Christ that we do in fact make it a priority and even going into the front end of 2021, I think it's good that we prep ourselves ahead of time, not in the process of January, but let's jumpstart into December. All right, will you jump in with me? All right, so Joshua chapter 3, let's, let's look at it, and uh, for those of you that are streaming at home, you can go to the Life Church Facebook page or the web page, pull up the notes, and track with us. The verses are right there. Verse 1, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. And since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. And stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. And make sure you don't come any closer. And then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Lord, will you do great wonders today in each one of us? And in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Father, we thank you for your word. And may it speak, Lord, you speak. You speak through your word. Um, Sometimes you have different ways of speaking to each one of us. We understand that. And so we, um, we desire for you to change us today. Um, just like the, the changes that took place in Chiang Kai, Burma, many years ago, because the influence of two men. Lord, we can, we can make a difference in our world. 
instead of being consumed by living conditions and what the world throws at us. Uh, Lord, we are, we are going to be intentional about modeling you in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so time to go. Title for today. <laughs> Stay put. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> well, my roast is going to burn. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, time to go. That's, uh, uh, that's the title, and, and you'll, you'll get it when we walk through this. Um, Maybe you're camped on the banks of the Jordan River yourself today. Uh, it's symbolic, of course. Uh, for those of you that have gone to Israel and you've gone to the Jordan River, Debbie and I have had the opportunity of going there. Uh, we've seen people baptized in the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized there. Pretty cool, you think about over 2,000 years ago. That same river is still there today. <laughs> it's still there. Maybe you see the footprints of family, friends who have crossed the river ahead of you. They're on the other side. They're encouraging you to cross. Um, They're shouting, they're waving, and you have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. And for some reason, maybe your, your feet feel cemented into the sand. You can't move. You're, you're caught in a rut. You're stuck. Well, before Moses died, as you know, he, he was leading the people of Israel, let, uh, led them out of uh, slavery, Egypt. And uh, in Deuteronomy 9, he has a pep talk with, <laughs> with uh, the people of Israel before they're about to, to cross into this promised land, this land that God had for them specifically. And you would think that uh, Moses, man, he'd get the... He, he, he'd just be fired up and say, man, it's going to be so easy in the promised land. Let's read it, Deuteronomy 9, 1 and 2. Um, Listen, O Israel, today you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to the nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. <laughs> I love it, don't you? The people are strong and tall. What would that? If you heard that, you just like maybe I don't want to go into the promised land, man. You know, maybe I should think about this a little more. You know, uh, they're descendants of the famous Anakite giants. Uh, you've heard the singing, "Who can stand up to the Anakites?" But recognize today, this is the tipping point right here, that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord has promised. So if I was having a, you know, have a little council meeting with Moses and say, Moses, you need to tone that down a little bit, you know, because just like the first group, you know, when they, the report came back, Giants and tall cities and uh, I don't think we're ready to go across. You know, or God brought us here to kill us. It's kind of like that happening all over again. You know, deja vu. And Moses is basically saying, when you cross into the promised land, it's not always going to be rosy. When I put my faith in Christ, I thought temptation would never come by me. Nobody told me about that. And I thought, did it work? (laughs) Put my faith in Christ? I mean, I thought I was supposed to be no more temptation. And so I had to work through that. Nobody talked about it. No, when you put your faith in Christ, there's a battle for your soul. I mean, it's ongoing. And Moses was basically telling the people of Israel, listen, you're going to cross into this promised land, and yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey and peanut butter, and uh, uh, it's, it's not always going to be tough. You, you are going to have to become, you will become engaged on that battlefield as well to eliminate the enemies that are occupying this land. 
So what he's saying is it's, it's, it's a process. You can cross over, but you don't hang up your military garb. Because quite honestly, until you stop breathing, we're, we are on a battlefield spiritually. So the point is we should never let our guard down. How's that working out for you? Is your guard down right now or, or not? Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. And that's easy to do. I, I mentioned this, uh, this pastor who had to step down for moral reasons a couple weeks ago. And, and he himself says he stopped being cautious. You know, he said, I, I let my guard down. I became vulnerable. And just like you and I, we always, always need to be aware and alert spiritually. Um, that, you, yeah, you, we, we think we're strong, man. I've, I've had a good track record for 38 days, man, so I can just put it on coast, cruise. No, no, no. No, you, you stay alert till you cross that finish line. So... Um, a lot of us feel, you know, we face our personal Jordans, you know. There's something interesting here on the front end that, that Joshua didn't say. They're going to be, they're moving into the Jordan River at flood stage. Whoops, I forgot to tell you. You know, whoops, but, but that's, that's interesting. Um, and so when we're facing the flood stage of, of life, you know, the, the strong currents and, and everything that comes along with it, um, man, we can feel like there's no way I can get across. I, I can't cross to that next step that God has for me. We, we feel like our lives have stalled spiritually. A pastor sat across the table of, um, uh, from a man who he knew, they were friends, and the, this man was talking about his life spiritually, that he was using these words, stuck, rut, stalled out, um, as a follower of Christ. He, and he, he told his pastor friend, I, I can remember the day I put my faith in Christ. But he said, I can't tell you the last time I defeated temptation in my life. I can't remember that. I, I, I can't remember when there's been an answer to prayer in my life. I, I can't remember. And so for 20 years, this man had been a follower of Christ, and he was still fighting the same battles he fought 20 years earlier. Why is that? You know, basically telling the pastor, I thought the Christian life would um, would be better than this. You know, you, you you could just sense the disappointment in his life, feeling disengaged, discouraged. It's as if um, the door to spiritual growth had a lock on it, and everybody else has a key but him. That's kind of how he was looking at life. You know, who does he blame? Does he blame himself? Does he blame God? Uh, it's got to be somebody else's fault, of course. And he doesn't know what to do. So, this pastor's friend is not alone. And it's possible that you're here today and you could identify with being stalled or stuck. I, I have to back up to... Um, Ernest Gordon in Burma, the environment that he was living in prior to those two men that came in and were able to influence a change in that culture, um, those men felt stuck. They felt like they were in a rut, living like barbarians. But you don't have to live like that. And Ernest Gordon found that to be true. 
revealed research did a study with churchgoers were, um, that were propelled by their faith to love God, to love others with their whole heart. They were wondering what, what kind of stats would we find in churches. And they, they surveyed um, members of more than 1,000 churches in America. So how many, think about this, how many followers of Christ would describe their days as victorious and growing? What do you think? Well, in a thousand churches, the answer was 11%. Just over one out of ten followers of Christ are living victorious, that are, li- that are growing in their faith. And uh, you, maybe you sense a disconnect with the promises of the Bible. You know, maybe that's a part of your life right now. And, and the question is, why? Why, why? why did you let that happen? Why, why did these men in, at the POW camp allow their, the culture, the environment of these men to decay, to take on the character of Satan? Why, why did that happen? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want you to live like that. He doesn't want you to live like the 89% in churches across America. He, he wants you to be part of that 11% and, and start growing that across this great country. Romans 8.37, Paul says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You see that? Now, that's a foreign, that's a foreign term for so many followers of Christ. Man, they don't know what victory is about. 20 years still battling the same temptations. Why? Because they're, they're not crossing over to that promised land that God has for us. Not, not a perfect environment, but we're growing. You know, there's battles to be fought, but we're thriving. We're experiencing victory. In, in that relationship. The NIV says we are more than conquerors. Um, um, that word, that word's becoming so foreign to the body of Christ. I, um, I was thinking about the hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. Uh, I don't. I don't have. I don't have a modern hymn book, but I've heard that they've taken that out of the hymn book. Onward, onward, Christian soldiers, not retreating. Onward, victory. Victory is ours, right? And so that's the heart of God. And that's the cool thing that He. When he created you, he created you for victory. When you put your faith in him, uh, he doesn't want you to be a casualty over and over and over again. But I'll tell you this, Satan, when he has his way, we are casualties, but when we allow Christ to come in, he renews us so that we will walk in victory. The, the boulders that Satan, you know, life can throw at us, they, they want to destroy us, man. If we allow God, he'll take those boulders and use them as building blocks. Because at the end of the day, here, here's the thing. God wants you and I to be anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. And in our culture today, we're being told we are so fragile. My feelings, you hurt my feelings. (gasps) You hurt my feelings. (laughs) And we're all feeling, man. And, and, And Jesus is saying, you are more than conquerors. Experience the victory that I paid for you on the cross, man. And um, so, oh, I happen to have the lyrics, Victory in Jesus. How many of you know that hymn? 
Shall we sing it? You ready? Who can lead us? Travis, you know that? In Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. So, so, we need to start a victory club at Life Church. Right? Victory! <gasps> listen, listen, man. Yesterday, I, well, it started Friday night and it bled into yesterday. First, it was the Badger basketball team Friday night. They let victory get away. Yesterday, the Badger football, it was a sad, sad day. Now, let me ask you, do you think the Badger basketball team and the football team, they're having a party this morning thinking, hey, man, we lost. Wasn't that fun? No, no. Because inside of us as human beings, we're wired for victory. We want to win. We want to win. And God put that in you because Satan wants to destroy you. He wants you to become a casualty. He wants you to live by your feelings. God said, man, there is so much more for you. There is so much more for you. I have, I have allowed my son to, to die, to, to suffer, to be tortured, hanging on a cross for the sins of the world, not for one sin, but for the sins of the world. And right now, even seven and a half billion people, those sins, the weight of that sin, so that you and I could experience victory. And so, we talked about this through First Thessalonians, crossing the finish line strong. Well, in order to do that, you have to be victorious. You have to be victorious. So I'm not talking about perfection, but we, we live for victory. You know, so, so how long are you going to let pornography haunt you? How long? How many more years are you going to let that disengage you from your relationship with Christ? How many more years are you going to carry the anger you have for your biological father? How, how long are you going to let that go and not deal with it? Hmm? And we can go on and on. How long are you going to carry that, that suitcase, that baggage, instead of dealing with it? And here in Joshua 3, man, God, God is intentionally dealing with his people to put things on the table before they cross over, to deal with it, to let, to let the healing touch of God come into the inner core of every human being if we let him and restore us and heal us so that we're whole. That's, that's his desire. And so... The cool thing is, um, um, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul put it this way, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. What happens when that happens? Somebody tell me. What happens when the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him, like Jesus, as we are changed into his glorious image? What, what, what happens? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's victory, right? Isn't there victory when we become like Christ? We say no to self, we say yes to Christ. We say no to selfishness, we say yes to serving. Right? 
Galatians uh, 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, um, when, we are, when our identity is in Christ, when we know that I'm a son or daughter of God, that helps you say no to temptation and yes to victory. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. That's my identity. I'm loved. I'm, I'm passionately loved by God. And so for all you, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, he adopted you into his family. So my identity, I don't have to prove anything to anybody because I am secure in who I am. And so because of that, because I, I am a, a child of God, a son of God, you're a son or daughter of God, that, that gives me the courage to say no to temptation. That's a choice I make. And it's all driven by love. Because I can tell you, I don't have a book of rules and regulations in my locker, you know, on how I have to live my life. I can't do this and I can't do that. Listen, man, that would torment me. But it's liberating to live my life freely because I love Christ knowing he loves me passionately. And so because of that, when I'm at that Jordan River at flood stage, I'm going to cross, man. (gasps) 2021's right around the corner. We have to get ready. And so, let's get to number one, shall we? <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. All right, number one, confronting my fear. Verse one, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Now, I get it. The millennials, their, their big thing is camping. You know, I can tell you, I tried it. I don't like it. Well, anyway, they were camping. J- notice Joshua ordered the camp to move uh, 10 miles from the Acacia Grove. Now, doesn't the Acacia Grove, doesn't that sound like a nice place if you're going to camp? Because that's where they were camping, the Acacia Grove, (laughs) you know. Peaceful, restful, um, beautiful. And and Joshua says, the the Lord said, it's time to move to the Jordan River. It's time to go. And many of us were stuck in the Acacia Grove because it's safe there. We've been there so long, we don't want to leave. My habits that I've dealt with for so long, I'm, I'm comfortable with those habits now, even though they're life-controlling, even though they're destroying me. I can tell you that last Wednesday, um, Andy Stanley and How Do You Get What You Really Want, really, I, I thought he nailed it with this statement. Fathers, what do you really want? And he said, you really want the respect of your adult children. That's what you really want. You want the respect of your adult children. What you do now, not, not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, what you do now will determine whether or not you have that. No things and no fling is worth losing the respect of your children. There's too many men stuck in the acacia grove. Not dealing with with issues, man. God wants you to not be controlled by those any longer. And so, 
what, what's, what's God doing and what's Joshua listening to God saying, I want, I want this nation to move out of their comfort zone, get right up to the obstacle that they're going to have to deal with. They're going to get right up next to it, the Jordan River. They're going to be looking at it. They can hear the roar of the water. They can see it. I want them to see the obstacle and realize they can't do anything about it. It's going to be left up to God Almighty. And I don't know about you, but I have been that place a lot where, Lord, Lord, I need your help. This river of the Jordan is at flood stage, and I can't get across on my own abilities and my own strengths and my own manipulating things. Lord, I need you to step in in front of me here and deal with that obstacle in my life. And so, God is tapping us on the shoulder and saying, man, this is an area in your life, man, I've been waiting for you to deal with. What's taken so long? And, and if the Spirit of God had that freedom in your life, he would bump you right up to the Jordan River and say, it's time to deal with it. No more procrastinating. No more making excuses why you can't. You need to deal with it. Francis Chan said, but God doesn't call us to be comfortable. In other words, don't get stuck in the acacia grove. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. <laughs> Indeed. Um, a couple months, well, yeah, a couple months ago, we, we were showing Rick Warren's study on Wednesday night, family night. And for those of you that know Rick, he's been pastoring in California, Saddleback Church, for a long time. He tells the story when he uh, got married to Kay, three months later, he had a total uh, breakdown. He collapsed. He had to go to a hospital. He said, the reason being, I was filled with fear. Remember point one, confronting my fear. I thought my life was over, he said. So after out of the hospital, we went to my parents' home in Northern California, and I continued to be paralyzed by fear. I thought I couldn't handle anything. Everything made me upset and nervous. And he said, one night I had a dream with all this tension and the feeling of failure. Uh, this dream felt evil. It was dark. And I woke up in a cold sweat. And he said, as I was lying in bed, breathing fast, the phone rang. The guy on the other end of the phone said, is this the house where Rick Warren is? Could I talk to him? And the man said, Rick, you don't know me. We've never met. How I got this number doesn't really matter, but I live in Southern California. He's in Northern California. How many of you know California is a long state? He said, God told me to call you and give you this verse. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Another translation, a spirit that makes us afraid and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And Rick, you have a right in Jesus Christ to not live in fear. And then he hung up the phone. <laughs> and Rick says, you don't think God uses people like that, do you? <laughs> he does. He said, it could have been an angel, he said, but it didn't have to be. Maybe, maybe God just said to the man, call that guy. In an obedience, he did. Well, Rick says, I held on to that verse during that year of living in fear when I thought I was such a failure. But God wasn't done with me, and he's done many things in my life since. That was 45 years ago. 
And see, he's experienced victory. He's, um, he's experienced God because he was willing to cross over. And God's not done with you either. It doesn't matter what you've been through, but you can't let fear hold you back. Push yourself to trust God in everything you do and live in faith and love. Um, I've told, uh, our kids are, are aware of this, but many years ago, um, it seemed like every October something bad happened at church. Something bad happened. Um, and after a few years of that, I, I can tell you that I became fearful. Uh, I, I, was, I was paralyzed. I, I, I did not look forward to moving into October out of fear. And the cool thing was, this is what God, just like this man who, who uh, called Rick to give him that verse, we, we had a kid's deal on Halloween night called Hallelujah Night. And um, it was produced down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a Western theme. And the theme for that Halloween was the Braswell Curse, which meant the Braswell brothers were coming into town. And they, they were brutal. They were evil. And you had to be afraid. And so... And so, the th- long story short, uh, the sheriff, who was a follower of Christ, he said, no big deal. No big deal. Because God did not give me a spirit of fear. You know, he, and he told us, you know, the guys are coming into town, everybody's in hiding, and he's out there, you know. And I realized God used that to convict me of allowing this fear to become a stronghold in my life. In, in a simple children's video, it was like somebody called me and said, dude, you need to get to the Jordan River. Get out of the Acacia Grove. And I, asked God, I had to ask God to forgive me, which he did. And from then on, Octobers have been good. See, you can give ground to the enemy by succumbing to fear in your life. You give ground to the enemy. And he develops a stronghold. Fear. You can't change. This habit, this life-controlling habit, it's a stronghold in your life. It's time to bring it into the light. What has the Spirit of God been talking to you about this morning? What is keeping you in the acacia grove this morning? Preventing you from getting from there to the Jordan River? Because it's time to cross over. It's time to go. It's time to go. victory in Jesus. May that be a heart song in each one of us. Father, we thank you. Lord, just as in that POW camp in Burma, the, the slide of humanity into the darkness until two men brought light to make a change. Lord, we know that you don't want us to keep living the same, allowing temptation 
allowing habits, life-controlling habits, to paralyze us from being who you want us to be. And so as we um, are looking at the end of this year, Lord, facing a brand new year, we don't want to bring the old into the new. We want to deal with it. We need your help to deal with it. Because when we bring our pain, our wounds, our, um, our baggage and put it on the table with you, Lord, you don't point your finger and accuse us and defame us. No, no. You, you simply say thank you for being honest. And with your power, those things are taken care of. And so we thank you today. Lord, you are, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. You never give up on us. You never write us off. You simply say, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you because then you can spend eternity with me. That's how much you love us. And so today we, we pray for maybe that one person who has allowed their heart to become so cold and hardened against you that they would open up the door to their soul and say, Lord, come in. I invite you to come in and change me forgive me I put my trust in you Lord today you died in my place you paid for my sin debt in full there is nothing I can ever do to try and earn your love it's paid in full and I simply receive that gift right now and I thank you for coming into my life, forgiving me, reconciling me to your heavenly Father. And by the power of your Spirit, I'll live for you the rest of my days. And Spirit of God, we just say, do your work in each one of us. We, we all need work. We all have issues we need to deal with. May we be honest today, not procrastinate any longer. I allow you to do your work in this, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' great name, amen.